Great, it's so good to see you this morning. Uh, really good to be here together. And um, just a, a couple of things to say. Um, uh, the first is uh, that we there should be a sermon head out in front of you if, on your tables if you're into taking notes. But also on the back of that, there is a, a, a section for um, kind of thoughts or comments, questions. That's because we, we usually have a question time after the sermon um, and a, a time to discuss what we've heard. So maybe you want to jot something down as, as you listen and that might be helpful uh, for everybody to then, to then hear afterwards. Um, I said a couple of things to say but I think that's all I've got to say. So let's pray and uh, have a look at this. Um, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are um, so good to us that you speak to us and Father, in doing so, uh, we can know you and so, Father, we do pray this morning that that would, that would uh, be true of us. As we look at your word, we would know Jesus more and that you would help us and equip us to live for uh, him and seek, uh, seek you in all that we do. Father, we do pray for the, the kids that have gone out. Thank you so much for them. And we pray that the teaching that they would receive this morning uh, would make a difference in their lives too, that they would see very clearly that Jesus is the only one who saves them. Father, as they know that truth, would they come to him? And we pray all this this morning for your glory. Amen. Well, I wonder how you feel when the gospel is opposed, when somebody goes against the gospel. Uh, consider with me just the following examples. So you make friends with your next door neighbour, you get along with them well, you even have them kind of round for coffee on a Saturday afternoon or something, and they seem uh, to you like they're glad for your company. You're able to talk to them and make friends with them. And at one point you tell them you're a Christian, they ask what that means, and so you take the opportunity, you tell them the, the gospel, you say, well look, Jesus died for me, he paid for my sin, and now I have a new life with, with God. And I know and I live um, for God. And they kind of look at you as if you have uh, two heads at that point. And um, the, you know, you know, as time goes on, you are able to be friends with them. You get on with them still. Um, but they never really want to hear about Jesus. They're always shutting that conversation down straight away. And you, even, you have the opportunity to you try to invite them to a church event but you know they're not going to come. They just really don't want to know. It's all a bit awkward. Uh, I wonder how that, that makes you feel. Maybe you feel like after that experience, things are utterly hopeless. That you've told this person the gospel and they've clearly rejected it. Okay, you get on with them, but they, they, they don't want to know anymore. They simply don't want to hear about Jesus. And so you think, well, based on that experience, nobody wants to know about Jesus. You know, I, I, I simply can't tell anyone about Jesus because surely everybody's going to react in that way. Or consider uh, perhaps a more distant but very real example. So in the news this week, week Oxford University, um, it was in the news because one of the colleges banned the Christian Union from their freshers fair. I don't know if you saw that. I think there's an article in the, in the Telegraph if you want to... Uh, look it up. But what happened is they said that the Christian beliefs were exclusive and aggressive and would make freshers feel unwelcome. So the Christian union was banned from being there. 
they were allowed to put some information on the multi-faith stool, but no Christians were permitted to be present to explain their beliefs or to invite anybody to a CU event. Now, whilst that's a distant example for us uh, in terms of geography, I, I guess it displays actually the increasingly intolerant mindset of the UK, doesn't it? And I wonder how that makes you feel. Uh, when you consider what's happened there, perhaps you feel it would be easier to, to conform. You know, well, they've, they've offered this place to the multi-faith store. Why not, why not go with that? You know, something is better than nothing. And if people are going to be intolerant, well, we'll just have to accept it rather than fight it. Or consider the more distant example, uh, but again, true. Uh, this week I heard a pastor who works for a mission organisation explaining the kind of opposition faced in Nepal. So Nepal is a country just north of uh, India, and it's, it's mainly Buddhist there. And the pastor explained how he was there in Nepal, and he was talking to a local girl in a, in a village who told him how some years ago a blind missionary had gone into Nepal and told her dad about Jesus Christ. Now, he was converted wonderfully. And she said her dad was, was a completely changed man, so much so that it wasn't long before actually her mum came to Christ as well and believed in Jesus. Now, one day her parents went out on the, the trails nearby and uh, they never came back. And the story was told that whilst out there, a landslide had come and killed this couple. Now, the explanation given for this um, was that happened because they trusted in Jesus. So the, 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 the religious leaders would say, well, they introduced this foreign god into the town, and so this landslide came. It was an act of judgment on them. Now, missionaries have gone into the village since then and told people about Jesus. And every time they say, well, don't believe in Jesus, do you see what happened to the couple who did? But the really sad truth, according to the girl, was that there was no landslide. What actually happened is the religious leaders in that village took the couple and they slit their throats. Because they believed in Jesus. Now I wonder how that sad and dreadful story makes you feel. Maybe it makes you feel afraid. uh, Or shocked, TJ, perhaps. Um, Afraid that one day that might be us. Uh, perhaps that kind of extreme could come our way, uh, and so we're, we're filled with fear. Now consider one final example, uh, Acts chapter 4. The people here, the apostles, they love to speak about Jesus, and if they've spoken about him, they have seen previously 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus. Recently, a lame beggar was healed, and people were amazed, and a man called Peter stands up to the crowd and he says, it was Jesus that did this. Jesus has not just healed this man, he's saved him. And so the crowd also put their trust in Jesus and they have new life now uh, and look forward to new life in a perfect creation. Now this of course is good news, but what happens in Acts chapter 4 is the apostles are opposed. So they're arrested, they're put on trial, and then they're told to keep quiet, to never speak of Jesus again. Now, so far, there's been this huge spread of the gospel, and suddenly, for the first time in Acts, we see people coming against it. And I don't know how that story makes you feel. Uh, As Tim read it for us, how that made you feel. But interestingly, we're not told how the apostles feel about it. 
Now, that doesn't mean their feelings don't matter. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about their feelings. And they may well feel hopeless. They may well feel like giving in. They may well feel afraid. But even if they do feel like that, what we see in the passage only is their response. So regardless of how they feel, what we see is that the apostles continue to speak. They just keep speaking. Now, of course, we're not the apostles. We haven't seen the risen Jesus as they have, but we believe in the risen Jesus as we did. We have their testimony written down, and their task in chapter 1, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, is now our task. We're the ones who must speak of Jesus, and I think what this passage tells us is we must keep speaking of Jesus, even when there's opposition against us. And so the question for us really is not so much, well, how do we feel when opposition comes? Rather, it is how do we speak? How do we keep speaking even when people are against us? Now, this morning we've got three answers to that question from what happens here in these verses. Three ways in which we must speak. The first is that we we, we speak with the right expectations. There's the first thing we see, speak with the right expectations. Speak with the right expectations. So this follows on from chapter 3. Peter has been speaking about Jesus, uh, as I I mentioned, the promise of a new life and a new creation. There he is in the temple. He's telling the crowd, he's saying, trust in Jesus. And whilst he's speaking, some specific people come up to Peter and John. Just have a look at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So these people, they have positions of authority. So the priest was considered uh, Jewish leaders. They represented people. The captain of the temple guard, they helped the priests out. But they were like the police. They kind of made sure that there was order in the temple. They had the power to arrest others. And then they came from a particular group called the Sadducees. And at this point, as these three groups of people come down, you you might be thinking, well, they might come just to listen. They might be interested in Jesus. But actually, verse 2 confirms that it's the opposite. You see, verse 2, they were greatly disturbed. They were annoyed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they're, they're disturbed or they're annoyed. On one hand, because these people were teaching, so they're taking their job. You know, that, that, was, that was something that the priests would normally do. And these people are kind of assuming an authority uh, that, that these people normally have. But more than that, they're teaching about an even higher authority. They're teaching about Jesus, who defeated death. The king above all kings. They're teaching that the resurrection is in him. And they're annoyed that their authority then is being squashed. And so what do they do? Verse 3, they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So they stop them from speaking about Jesus. So what you have here in these first, these first three verses is clear opposition, isn't it? They, you know, even though they're arrest, um, they, they come and arrest these, these people, they stop them speaking, they oppose them. But even though that arrest would have been public, there is also acceptance of their message. Verse 4, you see there, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So what you have in this, in, this, in this crowd, you see this very mixed response. 
Jesus is proclaimed, there is opposition to him, and there is belief in him. Same Jesus, mixed response. Now in that way, the gospel is a bit like the sun. And those who hear it are like two very different materials, clay and wax. So let me explain that for you. Take, take the, 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 you know, the hottest day of the year. You know, it's one of those days where people kind of everywhere in the UK are saying, well, I, I don't mind hot weather, but this is just too hot. You know, that, that kind of thing. I can't bear this. The sun is burning down. And what you do in your garden, you, you, where, where the sun is, is exposed, you place a piece of wax and you place, place a piece of clay. And as you watch the two materials there in the garden, under the heat, they do two very different things. They're under the same heat, the same sun, but the wax softens and melts, and the clay hardens and it breaks. See, they're both under the same sun, but they have a very different response. And that is what we see right here in this passage, clay and wax. The same Jesus is proclaimed, the same message, but one group of people, they harden to it, and they oppose it. And in another group of people, they soften and they accept it. And at this point in the passage, this is not how the apostles are responding to opposition. This is about how the people respond to the speaking, about how people respond to the gospel. And what we see from here on is that this is the normal response. Jesus is proclaimed, some harden, some soften. Some reject and oppose the gospel, some accept and believe the gospel. Now I guess that means that the first three opening chapters of Acts feel like a bit of a honeymoon period, don't they? they but you know, everybody is believing the gospel, but this mixed response now continues throughout the rest of Acts and clear throughout the rest of the New Testament. Letters are written to groups of people who believe, but in amongst people who oppose. This mixed response is normal. And so, it's the kind of response that we are to expect. Yet, as you speak about Jesus, we should expect some people to believe in him, and we should also expect some people to oppose him. That is a right expectation. And it's really important that, that we have that right expectation if we, if we are to speak. That, that, will, that is what will keep us speaking. So just consider that scenario for a moment with... Uh, your neighbour, um, you know, you've made friends, you've got to the point, you tell them about Jesus, they very subtly reject you, they don't want to hear about it, there's no kind of outrageous persecution, but, but at that point, that can just be so discouraging, can't, can't it? You can think, I just want to give up. You know, it, it just, it, it, you know at that, that point, everybody will reject Jesus, clearly based on this one person, I'm only ever going to face this kind of rejection, and I just can't face that. And so what do you do? You just think, oh, well, I'm just not going to bother telling people about Jesus. But you see, if I have a right expectation, if I think about Acts chapter 4, I think, okay, this person has rejected Jesus. They oppose Jesus. But I know that some will believe. And so I'm not going to worry too much about this episode. I'll, I'll continue to love this person, to, to see this person, but actually I'm going to find others to speak about Jesus with, because some of them might believe. I guess another common reaction could be, not so much to give in, but when our neighbour rejects us, to think, well, there must be something wrong with me. 
or there's something wrong with the way I've said the gospel or the way I've said something about Jesus. So I've got to change the message or I've got to change my personality. But actually, look, if you speak with the right expectation, you'll know that the person's rejection does not mean there's anything wrong with you. In fact, it probably means you've done something right. All that's happened is this person's heart has been exposed as a heart of clay. And so what happens when we go on in the same way, the same gospel, knowing that sooner or later we'll find a heart of wax? You see, we'll only go on, though, if we, if we speak with the right expectations, knowing that some will harden, some will reject, and some will believe. So we must speak with the right expectations. More than that, we must speak the truth. This is the second thing we see. Speak the truth about Jesus. Speak the truth about Jesus. It's the second thing we see this morning. So this is what happens as the opposition puts Peter and John... Sorry, as as the the leaders oppose Peter and John further. Remember what's going on. They, They put them in jail overnight. And then the next day... They're brought before a number of religious leaders and their questions. Just read me from verse 5. It says that the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name do you, did you do this? Now the question is not one of general inquiry. You know, they're not just kind of wanting to know. The scene here is that of a trial. So the high priest and the high, is the highest authority in the temple. And we've said that the, the apostles are claiming a higher authority. And what must be slightly worrying for Peter and John at this point is the fact that the high priests they are facing are the same high priests that Jesus faced. So if you were to go home this afternoon and read John chapter 18 you would see that it's the same Annas that questioned Jesus. And when Jesus spoke the truth about who he was, he was sent to the same Caiaphas, who then delivered him to Pilate as a guilty man to be crucified. And so the apostles here, they're standing in the face of people who have already opposed Jesus once and people who thought that they had disposed of Jesus who crucified him. And so they, they know, if, if now they speak of Jesus, who, you know, who knows what will happen? It would surely be better, wouldn't it, for them to make up a story? Or, you know, if I was standing there, I'd just run. But, but they don't. Even though they're up against this really daunting opposition, actually the Holy Spirit enables them, moves them to speak the truth. And firstly, they speak the truth about what has happened. You see there, verse 8. They say, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are, are, are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. See, what they're saying is Jesus is responsible for this. He is both alive and he is at work. It is the truth about what has happened. And then, more than that, they speak about the truth about who Jesus is. Verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, 
which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now this is the truth that they speak, that Jesus is the only saviour. Now this is what the healing of the lame beggar shows us, that, that there is nothing under heaven, nothing else in this world that will save you. Only Jesus will do that. He is the picture painted here. He's the cornerstone. That, that is the stone of a building that sits in the corner under, uh, on which every other stone is, is now built. If you take that stone out, then the whole building collapses. And so it's essential. That stone is essential for the building to stand. And the religious leaders, well, they thought that Jesus was just some kind of useless brick. So they, they threw him away. But his resurrection means, actually, he is the only stone on which people must build their lives. They cannot do without him. They cannot be saved without him. That's the truth that Peter stands up and speaks. Now this is a, this is a totally unrealistic example, but, but imagine this scene. It, it, it is, the truth that they're saying is like a man who tries to approach the White House uh, and he tries desperately to get access to the president on all kinds of ways. So he tries to go through the gate, but the gates are locked. Uh, he, he tries digging under the ground, but he knows guard dogs will be set upon him um, as soon as he goes. He, he could try going over the wall, but he knows that once the cameras spot him, he'll be arrested and taken away. So it's simply impossible. It's impossible for him to get in. Impossible for him to get close to the president. Until this young boy comes to the gate where he stands and he takes the man by the hand. And as the boy walks with the man, suddenly the gates open and guards lower their guns. Suddenly he, he, he is the most welcome person in the White House. And he walks into the president's office and the president looks at the boy and he says to him, Hello son. You see, the only way in without facing certain judgment was for the man to come in with the son. To come in the name of the son. And it's the same for us before God. Access, salvation is found only in Jesus' name. The son who took our sin, who gives us his righteousness, who now presents us perfect before the father. Salvation is found in nothing else. Now, that's the truth that Peter is proclaiming, and he's proclaiming it here to the religious leaders. But that doesn't mean that he's saying, look, a Jewish belief won't save you. That, that is true, and these people have rejected Jesus, the Messiah, they need to believe in him. But it's, it's true for other religions too, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism. They won't save you. They're saying only Jesus will save you. But, but what... What they're really aiming at, what's true of the religious leaders here, is they have a name. You see, they are seen as upright and good and religious. They are seen as people who have authority and respect. And so people look at them and they think, well, of course they'll be okay with God. Now, in that respect, they're just like the people of Camborne and Papworth, aren't they? Who look decent and upright who look like they have a name that might get them somewhere but the truth is the truth from Peter is that none of that will count for anything 
before God. Our name will, will not get us anywhere. Nothing we do under heaven will present us right before God. Only Jesus. Only his name. Now what does that mean for us? Well, firstly and foremost, it, it means regardless of who you are, you need to come to Jesus. So if you're not a Christian here, please know that nothing else in this world will save you. You must come to him. And then, of course, if this is a truth for all mankind, as it says in verse 12, the truth is we must speak this truth about Jesus. This is the truth that we must proclaim. That Jesus is the only way. It doesn't matter what people think of themselves, you must tell people that truth. Think about Oxford's uh, university. I guess it would be easy, couldn't it, for the Christian Union there to simply say, okay, well, do you know what? We'll not express our views. We'll go happily along with this idea that there are a number of different entry points. You know, think of the White House again. Well, yeah, you can go in any way you like. Or, I guess, a more popular view, there's there's a number of different roads up a mountain that lead to God. And we'll just be another choice. You know, they could easily conform to that, go along with that. I'm pleased to say that, that they didn't do that. They didn't go along with that idea because they wanted to speak the truth about Jesus. That yes, all roads up the mountain will lead to God. I wholeheartedly agree that they will lead to God. Your own good works will lead you to God. But you take any of those paths, any other path than Jesus, you will meet God. But without the Son, without Jesus, that will be a dreadful day. Because God will judge you for an eternity in hell. The truth is that only Jesus, only that path will save you and present you before God as perfect. And so that is the truth that we need to speak. Now, I guess that can be seen as such an arrogant thing to do, can't it? That's such an arrogant claim. That Jesus is the only way. That Christians know the only way. It seems like, and is often viewed as the most arrogant thing you can say, but actually, for someone to say, everybody will be okay in the end, that's far more arrogant. Because they claim to have a view that no single faith does. So they claim that Christians are stuck on their own little path, so narrow and they can't move from it, whilst they can see the whole mountain. They can somehow see the bigger picture that no one else can, and so of course Jesus isn't the only way. Ultimately, they claim a much higher authority than anyone else, and even Jesus Christ himself. That seems very tolerant, seems very humble, but actually to put yourself as the one who decides salvation, that's what you're doing. If you claim everything uh, goes to God and people are saved. But actually, to say that Jesus is the only way, that's true humility. Not only do you bow down to him as the king, but you give people what they really need. The the truth about Jesus. So that's what we must speak, even in the face of opposition. Now look, you might be thinking at this point, so I, here, here I, you know, I think it's passage saying, speak the truth about Jesus. You might be thinking, I can't even speak like, about Jesus. You know, I, I, this just terrifies me. Well, let me encourage you with Peter. Because again, if you go back and you look at John chapter 18, what you will see is whilst Jesus is being condemned for speaking the truth, 
Peter is in denial. He's so afraid that he buckles in an instant. He's telling lies about Jesus. And here you see him on trial, boldly speaking the truth about Jesus. And so the encouragement for us is, look, people change. That you, you can change, I can change. Maybe you feel weak and afraid. You know, and there's nothing beyond that. Well, well, Peter shows us that actually we can be changed. But what is it that's changed? Well, there's two things. Firstly, you see there in verse 8 that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is God who has done this. He equips us, he gives us the boldness that we need. And the second thing is that Peter now knows that God is much greater than any person who will oppose us. And that is the third way in which we must speak this morning. We speak by fearing God. We speak by fearing God. This is the last thing we see uh, this morning. We speak by fearing God. So to fear God is, is, is the ultimate response from the apostles. And it happens that they are further opposed. This, this final push of opposition uh, comes that even though they can, comes to them, even though they can see, the religious leaders can see, that what, what's happened is, is utterly true. So just have a look at um, verse 13. They're, they're astonished. Uh, they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished as they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I guess one thing that tells us, just as an aside, is that look, we don't need to know all the answers to speak the truth about Jesus. These, these guys are unschooled. They're ordinary. So we don't have to be anything special. Now, at one point, though, we're wondering where that kind of courage will end up what these leaders will do. Perhaps they might seek to kill the apostles as they did with Jesus. They were taking notes that they'd been with him. But the problem is they can actually see what the apostles said is true. Just verse 14. But since they uh, could not, sorry, since they could see the man who had, who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confer together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. You see, they can see these things have happened, even that this is Jesus' work, but they just don't want him to be king or anyone else. So we see their decision in verse 13, but stop, but stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. So the leaders can see the truth, but they want to stop the gospel from spreading. Now we know, don't we, from, Acts, uh, 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 from the beginning of Acts, what we've seen, that that's simply not possible. So the, the gospel is like a beach ball, isn't it? You, you remember this example from chapter one, you push it down in water, but you can't keep it down, it just keeps coming back up. And the more forcefully you push it down, the more forcefully it comes back up. Uh, and that's all because Jesus is risen. He's still at work. You can't possibly stop this. But more than the fact that you can't stop the gospel, you can't stop these apostles. Uh, you can't stop Jesus spreading his gospel through them. Just look at verse 18. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, and here's the point, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. 
As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They can't help it. They must go on speaking the truth about Jesus. Now, I I suppose that's true, isn't it, for anybody who's heard and seen something that's worth sharing. You you know, you you see something, you're naturally excited. You must tell others about it. But the reason that these apostles must keep speaking, even when the people in front of them think it's wrong, is because God says it's right. It's the right thing to do. And so they speak because they fear God more than they fear people. Now that is the exact opposite of the religious leaders. So despite being religious, they, they fear people. Have a look at verse 21. Any, uh, after further threats, this is the religious leaders, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, the point of that, Luke throwing that in there, I think, is, is that they can see that it's true. This is considered impossible. They, they can see this man has been healed by Jesus, and they can see that everybody else knows it's true, because everybody else is praising God. And so, if, if these religious leaders punish these apostles, then the leaders are going to lose their respect. And they're going to lose their status. And so they fear these people, and it totally paralyzes them. They don't really do anything. So they could come to Jesus and go with the crowd, but that would mean they've got to recognise that higher authority. They could punish the apostles severely, but then they would lose uh, their respect. Instead, they do nothing. They're just paralysed. Now, if you're a Christian here, then we're not like the religious leaders, are we? We're not opposed to the gospel. Of course we're not. And yet what they teach us here is that a fear of people will paralyse us. It means that we won't speak of Jesus. We won't speak the truth about Jesus. We won't speak in the face of opposition. And I guess fearing people uh, and how they might respond to us doesn't mean actually that we have a bigger view of people than we do of God. What it means is that we have too big a view of ourselves. We simply cannot stand to lose respect. We fear people because actually we fear that being taken away from us. I remember recently um, we were invited to a uh, birthday party amongst non-Christian friends. and I knew knew that there were only going to be non-Christian people there. And as the day went on, I, 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 this was going around in my mind, and I said to Suze, you know what, I really don't want to go. Now, as I thought about that, and I really didn't want to go, um, and as I thought about it, I, I realised the reason I, it's not because I, I couldn't speak about Jesus. I can do that. It's not because I didn't want to speak about Jesus. I wanted to tell these people. The reason I didn't want to go is because this group of people think I'm weird, and I hate that. It's because I turn up there and I am a nobody. Yeah, I hate losing face. It paralyzes me. So I either don't go or I just go and I don't speak. And so the only solution for me in that respect is to, is to see actually that, do you know what? I'm not the king anyway. 
Jesus is. And so I must fear God. To know know that I don't have actually that much to lose. And that he wants me to do the right thing. That's what it means to fear God. It's not to see, I think sometimes we think of fearing God as, well, if we see people as kind of flies who won't hurt us, and we see God as some kind of vicious uh, lion who will devour us any minute, and so we trembly, we we do everything that he says, that's what it's like to fear him. But actually, no, it's not that. It's to be so in awe of him, so amazed at what he's done, that you can't help speak the truth about him. Regardless of what that means for us, now, I guess that's the only way, isn't it? That's the only way that anybody's going to head into that village in the pool. Because knowing what they know, knowing what we know, you know, that the religious leaders have done everything they can to stop the gospel, even killed people, actually, you know, the only way anyone's going to go in there and proclaim Jesus at that point is if they, if they genuinely fear God. They're so amazed at him that they... They want to speak the truth about him. But you see, for us then, at this moment, we're not facing death in that way. The key for us then is just fear God in the small things. To put him as our king in everything that we do. To do what's right in his eyes, not what's right in the eyes of others. At home, at church, in this community. And I guess, of course, that will mean speaking about Jesus at home and at church and in the community. We fear God and we speak of Jesus now, knowing that if and when opposition comes, we still carry on speaking for Jesus. That's where our courage will come from. It's not an education, it's not a personality, it's from fearing God and not people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, your gospel. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that um, Jesus is the only person who saves us. And Father, as we come to him and we know that, we pray that we'll be so amazed at that that we want to keep on speaking the truth about him. Pray that you'd help us as individuals and pray that you'd help us as a church to want to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we just have, um, we usually have now a couple of minutes just for um, questions and discussions. Uh, And it might be, you know, firstly, you might want to move tables in order to to talk about this. Um, If if you're on your own, you want to talk about it. It might be that actually, you know, the thought of this fills you with dread, and that's fine. You can go and grab a drink or just stay out the window whatever but we have a couple of minutes and then we um, uh, uh, and then we'll open it up for a while anything that that would be helpful for everybody to hear or a question that might be helpful for everybody to or a question that you might feel that you're asking but everybody else is also asking Um, anything at all go for it Jimmy Thank, thank you, Ben. Um, I'm just wondering, what do you make of 
um, those people who speak with the right expectations, i.e. they don't expect everyone to agree with them, mm. who speak the truth and who have no fear, but they do it on a bus or on a train or outside mm. the train station or outside Morrison's. Yeah, that's a really good question. Yes. So you're, you're saying um, that you get people who do, do what's going on in this passage, but they, they, and they, they effectively do it like the apostles. So they stand up and they, they proclaim in the middle of a busy street, you know, you're going to hell without Jesus, that kind of thing. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Anybody think anything about that at all? I know what I think, but it would be good to hear what other people think. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's wrong at all. Um, I'm not sure it's the best way to do things in our culture. So I, I, I think that the, the, the best way to, to, to do that is, is through personal relationships because we're in a culture that doesn't trust, doesn't even know what it can trust. So we're in a kind of a, you know, very much a post-truth Kind of like, what, what, what is the truth? You know, you get this idea of fake news and stuff. So the more that you can, the more that somebody can know you and trust you, um, I, I think you, you're then in a better position to proclaim gospel. The other thing I want to say, though, is I think that as a church, we do that. We just do it differently. So consider, this is a great spot to plug this. Light party on the 29th of October in the hub. Please do three things. Pray, come along, and invite people. Um, uh, that's what we're doing. All the difference is we, we've invited those people to hear it. So, we, you know, somebody is going to stand up and proclaim Jesus to a load of people who don't know Jesus. And effectively, that's what, that's what people do in the streets. It's just that we, we hopefully will know the people there because we invited them. They trust us, so they've come along. And, uh, you know... Uh, they, they, they're, not, they're not walking to work so they can't escape um, <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that kind of thing I mean, of course they can leave but do you know what I mean I, uh, so I'm not sure it's the best approach in our culture but I think we, we are not it's not that we don't do that it's just we take a different approach to it does that make sense do you got, you got anything to add to that to me yeah okay um, it's also worth saying, some churches still do that. So, Beckles Baptist, who, we, who, who pray for us regularly, who wants to support submission, um, Vanessa will tell you more about this. Like, they regularly do a, um, what's called a, uh, it's open air, isn't it? That's what they call it. So, they, they'll, they'll literally, and Beckles kind of, as a, as a town, lends itself to this, because it's a market town, so you've got this really central marketplace. So, they'll go there, with the permission of the council, of course, and uh, they'll stand up and somebody will be, you know, preaching truth. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's not a wrong thing to do. Yeah. Any other questions or comments or anything else? Chris. Uh, just a, a minor sideline, really, but it's just interesting that... Um, God hasn't given up on these religious leaders that we see throughout yeah. Acts. 
Yeah. Um, you think after uh, Jesus' death, you think, I'm not going to bother with them anymore. Yeah. They don't deserve forgiveness. But actually, here mm. and in a few more chapters as well, they're going to be hearing the apostles. Uh, yeah. Going to hear the gospel themselves. So yeah. just a, a sideline. That, that is brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, that, that, yeah. That, and I, I, I think, you know, that is a reason for us to never, never give up on people. I, you, know the whole, so you know the whole clay wax thing. So my tendency is once I see clay, not only do I give up preaching the gospel, I give up on that person, and I think, oh, you're lost, you're gone. But I should, you know, we should never do that. Like we should always be just praying for those people, befriending those people, wanting to, you know, because you never know when somebody's going to turn from clay to wax. Like, yeah. But thanks, Chris. A great point. Yeah, thank you very much. Any anything else at all? Okay, last question then. John, you had a really good question. Yeah, I did. I was yeah. Um, in your third point, you said that we need to fear God and that will, or, or kind of be in awe of God. Yeah. And that, that will help us to, to speak about him. Mm. I was wondering, how, how can we practically fear God more or be more in awe of, of who he is? Yeah. Anybody got any thoughts on that? How can we practically fear God? Go for it. So, um, forgive me, I, I don't know your name. Georgina. Georgina, great. Hello. Uh, by fearing God, you have to be obedient. Obedient yeah. to the Lord. Um, that's it. obedient and be humble yourself at all times mm. and study the word. Yeah, that will help you too. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's great. I, uh, John, I think John's question is how can we how can we do how can we help one another to do that? You got any thoughts, Georgina? So how how could if you're part of a local church, how can I how can I help you to fear God? How could you help me to fear God? How can you help somebody to fear God? Yeah. Um, you have to pray for him. Yeah, that's it. Well, great, brilliant. Frequent yeah. prayer. Yeah. Okay. So pray for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Any other thoughts? Go on, Heather. Um, I don't really have any thoughts of my own, but I think Richard's um, when he was leading earlier and had the was talking about the water worm am I and that kind of thing. I think. I don't know, I guess confession or just everything that Richard said and that I think if you have that mm. perspective yeah. and that relation, well, that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? View or if you've got, yeah, if you recognize your position in front of God, so what Richard was saying earlier, I think that also mm. would help us to fear God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So if we see how big God is, how small we are in, in relation, um, that's always a help. Go on, Chris. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, it does. What we were chatting about was just um, the seeing God at work in front of their own eyes. Yeah. So I guess for us, like if we're distant from uh, God's people, God's work, then we're not going to, we're not going to, yeah. we're not helping ourselves. Yeah. Whereas for these guys, it was so real because it was the day before. Yeah. 
and they'd witnessed it, they'd done it, yeah. <laughs> they'd been there. Brilliant. And I guess that means, Chris, that we don't, so we don't just meet together, but we, we, can, we can share how God has been at work in our lives, and, and that will help us to think God really is still at work. Um, you know, um, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I guess that's, again, that's what Richard was doing up the front here, wasn't he? He was saying, actually, I didn't have a great week. Um, I, I did not, my heart was not in the right place. And yet I know that God has done an amazing thing that means I can come to him. But yeah, but yeah thanks, Chris. That's, that's great. Go on, Richard. Uh, to answer the question about how can we learn this fear of God genuinely, have this awe of God, it seems to me we need to be people of the Word of God. We need to be people who read our Bibles. Because it's as you read the scriptures, you read about the mighty acts of God. You, you see what God has done. in, mm. uh, And throughout the Old Testament, not just the New, in the Old Testament, there are some incredible ways in which God works. And we need to be inspired by those. Because the God of the Old Testament is our God. Mm. And the whole Bible is full of the mighty acts of God. And the, the problem with the Israelites, God's complaint is, they didn't believe him. But I think we need to be reading it. We need to be absorbed in it. And as we do that, I think we will learn about how great our God is. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. Tashinga, have you got your hand up? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, for me, uh, I think... We should just stop for a minute and just look at the things around us. Mm. Uh, if we refer to the Bible again, in Genesis 1 verse 1 it says, God created the heaven and the earth. Mm. So everything we see around us, that, that, that was God. So we should always remind ourselves, mm. I mean if you look at, mm. I always give the example of the Victoria Falls. <laughs> to, yeah. To, yeah. You know, before you get, when you're like a, a kilometer away from the Victoria Falls, you feel the earth shaking. Huh? Yeah. And by the time you get there, you feel so small, you know. Uh, and it is God who made that. Mm. If you look at, uh, you know, we are just a small part of a massive, you know, universe. And it is God who, who made that. And if you just look at the way the body works, for example, I mean, the, the way everything is so co- uh, coordinated, you know, the basic build, building unit of a body, you know, the cell, Mm. How it all works, mm. and that is God who made. You cannot not fear the person who made that. Yeah. Know? So, so that is massive, you know. Mm. So, for me, we need to always look at the things around us and remember that it was actually God who made this. And there is just no way you cannot, you know, fear the person who made that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tashinga. Um, that's great. And if, I think what's interesting about all of this is that we, we gain courage to speak the truth about Jesus, you know, basically when we have a better relationship with God. That's really interesting, isn't it? So it's not, I, I, I think we, you know, churches like us often think, okay, we, we've, got to, we've got to shove strategies towards people, think about it this way, we've got to train people to do this. But actually, the better our relationship with God, the, the better we're, we're equipped to, to speak. Um, that makes sense. And, you know, I really want to encourage us that we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have what Peter has here. Um, you know, so... Anyway, I think we've gone on for far too long, so let's uh, sing. 
We're going to sing uh, again um, a song. Hmm, interesting. Uh, let's see if we can fix this. And if not, we won't worry. Is it? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. The picture's on, Paul. Right, here we go. There you go. We all know Richard's password. Chris does. <laughs> here we go. Right. So we this this song, Face of the Task and Finish, but it has this great has this great chorus um, that kind of sums up what we've seen in Acts four. We go into all the world with kingdom hope unfold. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. So it talks about us going out and proclaiming Jesus, the only saviour. So let's stand and sing, facing a task unfinished.
service and then I'll open them for you, okay? That's brilliant, Charlie. Well done. Fantastic. Right. Do you have a seat? Uh, just a couple of things to say. Uh, if you're new to us this morning um, and you'd like to know more about Christchurch Camor, you'd like somebody to be in touch, fill in a contact card. These are on your tables. Just pop it in the box over there that says contact cards and somebody will be in touch with you uh, on Monday. And then the other thing, I've already said this once, um, to, uh, but, but I'm very excited about this. This is our light party. It's happening on the 29th of October at the Hub at 3.30pm. Please do, I keep saying this, but please do three things. Pray for it. Pray that God would bring people along. Pray that God would work. Pray that people may save. Uh, sorry, God may save. Don't record that, Jimmy. <laughs> do and catch that. That's good. Um, that God would save people. Uh, pray that would happen. And um, uh, come along. Support it. Even if you're not interested, just come along. Um, uh, we, the more people there, the better. And then thirdly, throw these out. This is the last week uh, that I certainly have most so most of my contact with non-Christians come from the school run. It's last week of school behalf half, half term, so I'm going to f- absolutely give these to everyone. And, you know, if Jesus rejects... Uh, oh man, don't record that either.